Okay, we are learning Dav Tes Zion. So we're actually starting from the first word on the Amud. And we, we went through the story how all the people who went through the Pardes, so of all of them, Rabbi Akiva was somehow saved. He didn't look, he didn't glance, he knew not to look, so he was okay. So the Gemara asked, my Darash, what was Rabbi Akiva expounding? Meaning the Gemara is trying to say, how did he know what, what, when or not to look at the, at the Shekhinah and not to get harmed? So the Gemara says there are several references to this. Amar Rabbi Rachan, Rabbi Yochanan, Ba'asah, Merivah, Kodesh. The Pasuk say, Hashem came, Ba'asah, Merivah, Kodesh, with some of the angels. So Rabbi Akiva learns from there, O Supervava Shalom, that there's a sign, he, there's a certain sign, there's an os in the revavos with the angels of Hashem. So he knew to be careful, always to be cognizant that maybe HaKadosh Baruch Hu was going to be there and he didn't look. Rabavo Amar Dogul Me'Ravava. So the Pasuk is talking about how HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Dogul Me'Ravava. So what does it mean he's Dogul? So we say Dugma. There's something that's like him, Be'Ravava Shalom. Again, amongst all of the thousands of angels. So again, this idea that he knew, he was aware from looking at the Psukim that there was something not to look at. Hashem Tzvakos Shemo. Hashem is, right, Tzvakos, there's the idea that he, he rules over so many, so many different legions of angels. So Adon Hu Shalom. He is an Adon in his legion. So again, the same thing is that the common denominator here is that somewhere up there with the angels, that's where you're going to find Hashem. So he knew to be careful not to look. So here it's talking about Navi Sauce was talking about where is exactly Hashem. So there's a huge wind and mountains and rocks that were all breaking and said Hashem, but Lobarach Hashem. Hashem is not in the wind. After the wind was an earthquake, Lobarash Hashem. Hashem is not in the in the in the tremendous sounds of the earthquake. After the earthquake is a fire, Lobarash Hashem. Hashem is not in the fire. After the fire comes a small, thin sound. Hashem is passing. So Hashem is found in the cold of Amadaka. So therefore, Rabbi Akiva was aware of the cold of Amadaka, that that was the sign of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's presence, and he was careful not to be harmed. Okay, so we just mentioned before, we're going to go on a tangent here. We mentioned before, Acher was Shama Me'achari HaPargur. He heard from behind the Pargur, the partition behind him in the, in the Shekhinah, in the throne, was that Shuvu Banam Shovim Chutz Me'achar. So we mentioned some other ideas here. Tanar HaBanam Shishas Vam Nebri Vashedim. You want to understand what demons are. So the Shedim, they're around, right? The negative forces in the world. So the Shedim, in, in three ways, Shloshuk Malachai in three ways they're like angels. Shloshuk Malachai but in three ways, three uh, characteristics are like human beings. Shloshuk Malachai are three ways that they're like angels. They have wings, they fly. The second characteristic is that they fly from one end to the other world, to the other end, just like an angel is able to do. They can go anywhere. It doesn't make a difference. You know, human beings, they can only live in certain environments. But uh, the angels, and similarly the demons, can be anywhere. The third thing, they know what's going to happen, uh, just like an angel. So what does that mean, that they know what's going to happen? What are they, prophets? What are they, Nevi'im? So the answer is, Yodin Salkot Aitach, the Gemara is phrasing that like a question. Can it be that they just randomly know? How do they know? So my answer must be, It must be that they hear, and that's the point, that they're able to hear what's good. and if they can hear what's good, then they're, so to speak, privy to the information that the Malachim have. So the Malachim have it, the, 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 the demons have it as well, and that's the, common, the, common, the commonality between them. Okay, now the Bryce says, There are also three characteristics in the demons that are like human beings. They eat and drink. Demons eat and drink. They also, they also multiply. They're fruitful multiply, right? They, they, they have children. There's also a death. Interesting thing, a death to demons. So in that way, angels don't have any. That Angels don't eat, drink, have children, or die. 
So in that way, those three characteristics, the demons are like human beings. Says the Gemara, now she should have armed other in regard to understanding the character, the makeup of mankind, a human being. There are six things about him. There are three aspects. He's like an angel, three, three like he's an angel, and three like an animal. So a human being is kind of like in between beast and angel. The three that he's like an angel. There's intellect, there's understanding. The human beings are able to walk with a coma skufa, like erect, like animals don't do that, right? Animals walk on four. Furthermore, and they also are able to speak, um, speak languages. The Gemara is interesting. The Gemara says that they speak in Hebrew. I mean, you know, that's not, they speak period should be the point. It's interesting that the Gemara says they speak in Hebrew. <coughs> At any rate, has the three characteristics that a human being is like an animal. They eat and drink. We have, we have relations. We multiply. We have children like animals. There's excrement, right? We have waste. That's all things which are not existent by angels. All right, now we go back to the Mishnah. People who think and contemplate these four following, thing, following things too much is better, they wouldn't be creative. So what were the things that the Mishnah said? Not what's above, what's below, what's before, and what's after. It's understandable why it's bad to think about what's above, below, or what's after. Right? These are things when you shouldn't be concentrating on. In regard to what was before, what was, was. Meaning it seems like the Gemara is saying, if it's not, if it's not either in front of us now or going to come, and it's simply history, call it history of what existed before the world, and you're trying to understand what, what it was, it, how, the, how there was before a world, and you're trying to understand that concept. I mean, well, it's basically history. What harm can come from that? So the Gemara says, The analogy here is like a regular king who told his servants, I want you to build me a huge palace, which right currently now, the space is occupied by a garbage dump. I want you to build the palace where right now the space is a garbage dump. What happens? They went to build the palace. The king does not want people to ever mention again that it once was a garbage dump. So it's an interesting thing. I mean, it's a bad analogy because Hashem is Yeshmi Ayin, right? So there was no garbage. There was, like, there was no negativity. It wasn't like there was something here and it was built upon anything. So it's not the perfect analogy. But the point is, the covet of Hashem, which is felt in the world to describe it before, would be a disrespect to Akadosh Baruch. Says the Gemara, <coughs> the analysis in the next part of the Mishnah. Anyone who doesn't have pity or compassion for the honor of his creator, for the honor of the Rebbe Shalom, Shalom, again, is putting, it's better that he wouldn't have been come to the world. So the verse says, what does this mean, someone who doesn't have concern for the honor of Hashem? What is this reference to? Somebody looks at the rainbow, right? So it doesn't mean, you know, looking for a second, but it means like uh, you're really trying to understand and get into it, the whole thing, the keshes, you shouldn't do that, right? It's the thing, you're supposed to glance at it just for a second so that you... Uh, you can make the bracha, but to, to overly contemplate the rainbow is something which shouldn't be done. Like Mark Subas elaborates exactly in greater detail about the evil of the rainbow. Rabbi Yosef over It's actually referenced to a totally different thing. Somebody does a sin in secret. So in other words, publicly, um, it, we can understand it more. A person is just sinning, but someone who, who, who doesn't sin publicly, <laughs> he, he cares more about what people think about him. Than, but, but when he's in private, he sins. So that's... That, that's that's worse. It's like, you know, you're saying, I care more about people than I care about Hashem. It's like the same thing with Rabbi Yochum and Zaka, with the Ganav and the Gazlan. Now, the Ganav is worse than the Gazlan. It seems to be that's the over Avir Baseser. He's showing, like, proactively here, it's a demonstration. He doesn't care about the honor of Hashem. 
Says the Gemara Mazdaqa Bakashis, where do we see it's bad to look at the rainbow? They'll say, Kamari Akashi oh my gosh, I'm just like the appearance of a rainbow. In the cloud on a rainy day, Kimari Kane the appearance of Hashem's brilliance, who married most quote Hashem. So basically the rainbow is a demonstration of Hashem's glory. So you don't want to look at it that way. Um, you don't want to look directly at it. It says, look, you're gazing directly at the Shekhinah. That's the concept. And the second view of Yosef Mar is over Aver Baseser, that it's the person who does that Aver secretly, the Amar, because Rabbi Yitzchak, Aver Baseser, someone who commits a sin in private, as if he's pushing the feet of the Shekhinah. What does it mean, the feet of the Shekhinah? Hashem says, the heaven is where my throne is, the earth is my footstool. So what's the point? When you sin in private, the basic, the basic point you're, you're demonstrating is Hashem is not here. You're saying Hashem is not here, Hashem doesn't know what's going on here in this place. So what do you mean? The whole world is Hashem's footstool. So you're pushing butt back as if you're against the feet of Hashem's Baruch Hu, and that's what's so bad about it. Fracti Gemara, is it really true? You shouldn't sin in private. In other words, it sounds like we're saying if you're going to sin, better to sin publicly than secretly. Secretly is the worst. So Gemara, is that true? If Amar, Rabbi Allah, Kohen, Rabbi Allah, said, you know, this is a pretty famous Gemara. We've seen this actually a couple times already in Shas. A person who sees his Yitzhahara, he's too much, it's overwhelming. And he's going to sin. So better to go to a place where the person is not recognized. Wear black garments. He cloak himself in black. He should do what his heart desires. It's better to do that than to be it will be a sin, but it won't be as bad as if he would do it openly in his hometown where everybody knows and sees and is more exposed. So what do we see here? It seems that public is worse than private. Why? Because public is Chol Shemaim and private is less Chol Shemaim. So isn't that Mamish, the opposite of what we just said? We said, is worse because you're indicating that Hashem's presence is not there. So the Gemara says, Lo Kasha, what again is worse? We're trying to understand what's the resolution. Is a public sin worse than a private sin or vice versa? Ha, the Masikai who said that the secret sin is worse than the public sin is when we're talking about that you're able to calm the Yitzhar down. You could, but you're choosing not to. You're relying on the fact that you're hidden. So that's really bad because you could stop yourself and you're saying, hey, if it's hidden, if it's hidden nobody cares. So if that's what's going on, that, that's, that's where it's worse to do it in private. Was talking about, he was talking about a case where he wasn't able. He wasn't able to, to do it. So if he wasn't able to do it, then, uh, then, then in such a case, it's better to do it privately than to do it publicly. Now, the Maya said, the big shayla is, what does the Gemara mean? The lo matzi kayef Those are very strong words. That a person is unable, the lo matzi kayef How can we, how can we even relate to such words? What does that mean? Does Hashem ever, don't we have Bechira? Every single thing that we do, we, could, we should be able to, um, might, might, we, we, can always, we can always do it, right? In other words, we can always choose the right thing. So the Maisa, there's different opinions here. It's possible that we're talking about a person not really doing a sin. A person is doing something that's not technically a sin, but it might lead to sin. And Rabbi Lezakin is saying, better to go somewhere else to do that if you don't know what's going to come of it, right? So a person, I don't know, for example, just to give an example, a person is going to be drunk. So being drunk is not necessarily a sin, but you don't know what's going to happen. Right? So better to do, go to somewhere out where you're not going to be known and get drunk than to get drunk in your hometown. That would, that would be like an, an example of that. However, there is an idea in Hasidic thought where Tzadik HaKohen writes very, uh, very powerful words. You have to know how to apply it. Something, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to live life by this. But, but he says that uh, there sometimes is a test that comes from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Hashem sends a person something which he cannot overcome. In other words, that there actually is an example of a person is sent a sin that, that he's not going to have, he doesn't have the capacity not to sin. And the test is to see how he deals with it afterwards and not before. 
As Rabbi Tzadik writes such a thing, that the Nisayun is how you pick yourself up afterwards. So if there's such a concept, then the Gemara makes sense. There's a, it could be a certain times a person can be aware that he can't hold himself back. And then Nisayun is going to be how he relates himself as a person who's in. And there the advice is to go somewhere you don't know. So interesting thing, whether or not uh, we live like that or not, I don't know. But Al-Kopadim, the Rishonim seem to say over here that it doesn't mean literally that it's a sin. All right. Now the Gemara says more about the rainbow. The person of Rishlaki was the spokesperson for Rishlaki. She said, Anyone who looks at three things, his eyes go dim. In other words, right? It's bad for your eyesight. Looking at the rainbow is bad. Staring at the prince. Or the Kohanim. Why? Because there's Hashem's glory in all these things. So there's Hashem's glory in all these things. So then... You shouldn't be looking directly at them. What are, where do we see this? Pakeshes. We said this before. Like just like the brilliance of the rainbow, that's that's the brilliance of Hashem. The Yeshua says you should put from your from your glory upon Yeshua. So the idea is that it's like you know from the covenant of Hashem. What does it mean not to look at the Kohanim? That means when they were standing on their platform and they're dochening, they would bless the nation with the Shema Mephorosh, the explicit name of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. So there, there's Mamish Shechina on their, on, their, on their hands. So if you look at it, your mom is looking at the Shechina. So the big Shaila is, so what's the Indian today, right? Is there such an Indian today that you don't look at the Kohanim when they're Dachanim? So Pashtas tells this speaks out, oh, there's no din not to. No, there's sometimes Rashi implies that there's a din that you can't look at the Kohanim when they're Dachanim based upon our Gemara. But the Chayra is not true. In our Gemara, the whole Yusayt is, it's in the Shemesh HaMikdash, and so then that's where it's dangerous. But, but, but in today's day and age, where the Kohanim are stamped Dachanim and Shul, Whatever it is, we don't we don't believe in that that there's a shame on the floor, whether no shame on the floor, so on and so forth. Then we don't believe that there's a shechina present. So why shouldn't you look? So we shouldn't seem to say the only reason not to look isn't because anything bad will happen. It's simply because you, part of the mitzvah berachas kohanim is for the Israelim to listen. In fact, some of the bishonim learn that you're mekayim a mitzvah as well by listening. And there's a very like intense point that the, the the receiver of the blessing may be part of the mitzvah. Now, the mitzvah isn't just kos varachos bnei Yisrael. That the Emor Lahem, the mitzvah isn't just coming upon the Kohanim to, to recite the, the, the Yivarachacha, but it's more that the Israelim have to be the receiver of the blessing, which is very Tifa Indian. But, uh, you know, most things aren't like that. Sometimes you hear something, it's as if you're saying it, Jumea but here there's like a very unique mitzvah where there's a mitzvah on the community to, to, to bring peace to itself. And the way that is, we have our leaders say, pronounce a blessing of peace, and the community receives the blessing. To makabal the bracha of shalom, and that's an avoda unto itself. To receive the blessing of peace, which means that you have to you have to concentrate, a very intense kind of concentration, and you shouldn't be distracted. So therefore, there was maybe a halacha not to look at the kohanim just to focus, but your head down and focus, and that's that's going to put you in a zone, the zone to be able to focus on the bracha. That's really what it seems like. I don't know. I was always told if who knows what's going to happen if I look at the kohen. it's not true. It's simply that you should concentrate on the words. All right. Um, other thing is like it's such a joke. Like my, dad, you know, I brought my father. Not my father. My father was good, but other other parents instead they don't want their kids to look at the car name because So instead they give him candy under the towels. It's like the most ridiculous thing of all time, right? The whole point is you should be focusing on the brachas kohanim. So what? So instead they stick him under the towels. It's all hot and stuffy. It smells. Who knows what's going on? They all they give him a candy, right? A little strange. Okay, says the Gemara. Don't trust. Don't trust people. Huh? Don't trust a friend. Don't rely on anyone. What's going on? 
And Yom Alcha Yitzhara, the Yitzhara says to you, Chato, you should say, Don't worry about it. Kaddish Baruch Hu is just going to, you're going to do tshuva, Al is going to be good. Atame, don't trust in him. In reality, Yitzhara, because this puzzle, don't trust in your friend, means the Yitzhara, he's your best friend. Who's the chief? You're going to say, who's going to testify? If I do a sin privately, who knows? The stones and the beams testify. The stone cries out from the wall and the chip from the beam testifies. So I just find this a very powerful point. Right? We don't just say Hashem knows. What does that mean? You know, the beams of your house testify. Well, well let's make this. Well, Hashem knows. That's the whole Indian. I mean, it's crazy to say that we, we literally had in the Gemara a little bit about how bad the, 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 the secrecy, the, the secret sin is because Hashem is there. And that's the whole Indian. We said that it's as if you don't think, as you don't believe that the Shekhinah is everywhere. So now we say a person's going to say to himself, why don't I sin here? Nobody knows. Ah, but the beams in the house are going to testify. Well, what happened to Hashem? Well, why do we have to make the beams of the house become people? So the, I saw this from the Bala Musa. Levi Leol says a beautiful insight. He says that it's speaking to a person's heart. And it, it's speaking to the person who has a hard time believing in it, right? Because it, it, it's hard. It's hard to believe. It's hard to feel. And there's a natural will that, that we don't think that, that there's anything there. So he says that we have to believe in the home. He says, if you look in the Lashon of Perkeva, it's a beautiful vart. It says in the Pasuk, it says, Yehei Beischa, Right? Your hey basically, your house should be. So it doesn't say you're, you know, there's another Mishnah as well, which speaks as if what your home is, as opposed to saying what you do in your home. You know, your Malchazarach in your home. What does it mean, you hey basically, right? Pasuach Pasuach Revacha. So it doesn't say you should open your door to guests. It says your home should be open. What does it mean your home should be open? I should open my home. What does it mean my home is open? It explains that a person should live life with the perspective that their home is life. Their home is very much alive. In an intangible sense, it's a very healthy thing. It's a very powerful thing to believe that the, 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 home, the home not only is a witness to everything and that there's every single thing that's special and meaningful, but that the home itself is life. And that it's, it's a perspective which a person, first of all, it's easier to believe in. There's a lot to believe in and why we see it, you know, moving is painful or whatever it is, but the home is life. And that's the reason the mission speaks that way and that's the reason we speak here. It speaks to you. You know, what you do here, you're trying to do X, Y, and Z in your house, but the same being that sees that, sees that, so that, you know, it's a musr. It's a musr that can get a person going. All right, says the Gemara, V'lechachamim omrim, nishmaso shala adam. A person should focus on their soul that will testify. Shinemar, v'ashkaz chikecha shmar, pischei picha. Guard the doorways of your mouth. And the one who's lying in your chikecha, in your lap. What lies in a person's lap? It's a reference to the soul. A person should always think about that there are two angels. There's always two angels with you. They will testify against you. Hashem sends the angels for you to observe everything. It could just be your very body itself, your limbs. One day, your soul goes to heaven, the limbs itself testify. So we see that the Pasuk is saying simply for the, um, for the, uh, the limbs of a person are going to testify. All right, now we get back to Chagiga. So we get to Chagiga. And we know, what are you bringing a Chagiga? Remember, what are we bringing? So we're bringing a carbon Ola Sri'iyah. We're bringing a carbon Shalmi Chagiga. And we're bringing Shalmi Simcha. When you bring an Ola and a Shlamim, there's something called Smicha. Smicha is you lean your hands on the animal. What's the Indian of Smicha? The Indian of Smicha is that you put yourself on the animal. It happens to be that the person also has a mitzvah of Vidoy. And it's said, why you do Smicha? But people make a mistake. They think the mitzvah of Smicha is Vidoy. It's two separate things. The Rambam learns when a person does shlamim, when a person does smicha on a shlamim, what do they say? They say words that praise or thank HaKadosh Baruch when they bring the shlamim because there's no vito, you didn't sin when you bring the shlamim. So I'll upon him that you lean your hands. That's part of the Indian 
of, of, of Smicha. So now we get to the Zugos. The Zugos, just to understand, is after the time, at the end of Nevuah, it was a period in time before the Tanam came along, before, you know, Beishamah and Beishillah. Beishamah and Hillel were the last of the Zugos. There was a period of time, you could see it, if you follow Perkei Avos, you follow the Mishnah here, when there was uh, pairs. Pairs, one was the Nasi and one was the Av Beishdin. And what happened was, and this is such an important historical point going into the next Sugya, is with the end of Nevuah, slowly, slowly, Machlokas started sprouting in the Zugos. Until then, there was no concept of dispute. If the matter wasn't sure, then the Navi and the basins with the functioning with the capacity of Nevuah would be able to tell Klaes or what the halacha was. But as the Zugos developed, so too there was Machlokas until finally gets the Shaman and Bisil to their students and there was a proliferation of dispute. But that only happens at the end of the Zugos and as we get to the Tanam. So now we're learning what was the, ever the first Machlokas in Klai Israel. Very interesting thing. What was the first dispute ever in Klai Israel? It was about our Mishnah right here. Yosef ben Yoazer said that there shouldn't be smicha that is done to a karpan. Why? Because on Yantif, when you do smicha, you're, you have to lean all your weight. If you're going to lean all your weight, you're being mishtamish by the chaim. It's basically like you're, you're riding on it. You're, you're making use of the animal. And there's a din mit rabbanon, remember from Masechah's Beitzah, not to mishtamish by the chaim, because if you're riding an animal, you might um, plug a pick a branch to hit it to make it move. So where the rabbi said, no making, no riding on animals on Shabbos. So, or Yantif. So if you're going to do smicha, you're violating the Indra so you shouldn't do smicha on the Karbanos on Yantif. Yosef and Yochan Armar Lismach. Yosef and Yochan says, no, you do do smicha. Yeshua and Bracham Shalom Lismach, Nidar Ba'ali Armar Lismach. Hidim and Ba'ali Shalom Lismach, Shemun Shazak Armar Lismach. Shmai Armar Lismach, Chavtayim Shalom Lismach. Hillel Menachem, Lonechlikul. Hillel Menachem did not argue. Yatza Menachem. Originally, Hillel's counterpart was Menachem, but Menachem left. We'll see what happened to him. And Nechna Shama, Shama entered in his place. Shama Armar Shalom Lismach, Hillel Omer Lismach. So this is an ongoing dispute. It's a fascinating thing. What's the machlokes? So there's different views on this. One idea is that the machlokes is whether or not smicha has to be done tekif to the shechita. There's a dispute whether smicha has to be done immediately before the shechita. So if smicha has to be done immediately before the shechita, then it gets overridden because you have to do it before the shechita. The shechita has to be on yantif. But if you all the tekif, you don't smicha can be done before. So then maybe a person can do this smicha before. He can do this smicha before yantif, and then and then on yantif you don't have to do it. That might be um, one dispute. Or it might be that they're arguing about something else. The, the Shaila is, who says an Ola Tzri'iyah requires smicha? In other words, the Ola Tzri'iyah isn't a regular carbon Ola. It's like a sin offering, whatever it is. It's not like that. It's a different nature. It's a, it's a, it's a chi of carbon private Ola. Who says there's a din to do smicha at all? Maybe that's what the dispute is. Both of these opinions are, are, are cited in Masachas Beitzah. Now the Mishnah finishes off the top of the Beitzah. We showed by Yenisim. If you look at these pairs, there was always a pair. So the first person in the pair is the Nasi, Ushniyam Avaz based, and the second was the Av based. And these are different, uh, different personalities. Now, to so understand the different roles, the Nasi and the Av based, I mean, they were both in the Sanhedrin, but they had different, uh, different, different roles. Okay, here we go. Says the Gemara, Tana Rabbanah. The first Chachamim of the first three pairs who said not to do smicha. That was Yosef and Yosef, Yishuv and Parach and Yudam and Tabai. Ushnami zikus Akron Shama Lismach. Two of the Chachamim in the in the end of the pairs who said to smicha Shmai and Hillel. So how you see him? First one, Nesim, Mishnim, Lahem, Abbas, Basin, whereas the second of the three pairs, Yosem, Yochon, Yenita, Arbeli, Shimon, Meshetach, Avta, Ashmai, Avtayon, that was the Av, Basin, Divir, Amir, that's the words of Amir, Vachamar, Yehuda, Mentabai, Yehuda, Mentabai, Av, Basin, Yehuda, Mentabai, was Av, Basin, Shimon, Meshetach, Nasi, Shimon, Meshetach, was the Nasi. So our Mishnah says Yehuda, Mentabai, was the Nasi. So that's going like the opinion of Amir. So basically, that's the dispute over here. What's what's the deal with Yehuda, Mentabai, and Shimon, Meshetach? Who was the Nasi and who was the Av, Basin? That's the dispute between Rabbi Meir and the Chachamim. It's getting a little bit confusing which one was which. We have a dispute. About that point. Okay, 
So now it says the Gemara, Matan al Tadrabana. Now that we see it's in Machlokas, we hear the Matavayan Shemit Shatach, who is the Abbas and who is the Nasi, who is the Tana of that which it says in this following Brisa. What does it say in the Brisa? Amar Vida Matavayan Shemit Matavayan says, Arab and Achama, I should be comforted. I should get consolation. And really, he's saying it like a, like a euphemism that he should never be consoled. He should never be consoled if I didn't kill an Eidzomim who was, who was testifying falsely about a capital crime. So what happens when, a, when an Eidzomim testifies falsely, right? He says, I saw this in X, Y, and Z, somebody who did something that he deserves to be killed. And then other people say, how could you know about that? At the time that, you, that you're claiming you saw a testimony, you were with us somewhere else. So that's called the Eidzomim. So the question is, that what do you do to the Eidzomim? So the Torah says, if you do to the false witness exactly what he planned on doing, to the victim that he was testifying against. So you put them to death. If he said that the so-and-so should die, then you would put the insult to death. So Shemin Tabai says that I shouldn't be consoled if I didn't kill the, uh, the AIDS omen, meaning I did it. I killed an AIDS omen once for testifying falsely about a capital crime. Maybe they said they saw a murder. Maybe they said they saw some Lachal Shabbos, whatever it is. And why is that such a novelty? To, to exclude, to go against what the, 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 the opinion of the tzedukim. The tzedukim, the tzedukim say that the Zomim witnesses are not executed until the accused man was actually killed. In other words, the tzedukim believe that you only get put to death for testifying falsely if your plan worked. You testified falsely about somebody, he was Machal Shabbos in order to put him to death, and the basin already listened and put the person to death. And then we find out that you were an Eidzoimim, that's where we put, the, we, we put the witness to death. But if it didn't already actually occur, it was just uh, they were trying to hurt, then it, you don't do it. Eidzoimim hold that the whole din is only when it occurred. Whereas the Chacham hold, punct fakert, just the opposite. If it actually occurred, then it doesn't happen. We don't put the person to death. It's only if it was a plot and it hadn't yet been executed, nothing exactly occurred, it was just a plan, and, and the person testified in court, but, but the victim hadn't been killed, that's where there's a din that the Eidzoimim is killed. So what Rehud ben is saying is, I did the right thing. I did the right thing. I killed Adam Zomimin, even though their plan was not, did not go through. They just testified in the court. The victim had not been killed. I, but since they were trying, they were attempting to put somebody to death, I put them to death. So that he was all happy about this. Yudem Tabai was proud of the fact that it happened. What's the shot, by the way? What's behind it? What's behind the law? That if it actually is carried out, then, then, then we, don't, we don't do it. Now, the Very good. It's the Gemara. Kashazam below Kashazam. It's a pretty famous Rambada la Torah, which is, uh, I was wondering if anyone heard about this because it's such a theological debate. The Rambada la Torah says that, that, that God wouldn't have had allowed it to happen had the person really been innocent. So, meaning someone sat up in court, totally lied, said, I saw this guy, Michal Shabbos, right? And Basin didn't know any different. They didn't know they were so many. So, Basin put the person to death. So, now we find out that the witnesses were liars. Shaila is, look at what they did to the person. But if that actually happened, then it might be a sign from heaven. Fascinating. Very hard to put that in, right? Maybe that's anything. And there might be complications. Steer us to that. Or Chaim with Yosef and the brothers. Maybe steer to that. But okay, anyways, Al-Kupanim, that's the din. Some of Lokashra also, like Dan said. But the Tzadukim don't believe in that. The Tzadukim believe it's only if they're dead. So Yudim and Tabai is saying, look, I did the right thing. 
Just the opposite. If you didn't kill an innocent person, you did the wrong thing. You know why? You forgot about another halacha. are only punished if both witnesses are proven to be zomim. Meaning you need two witnesses to do anything. What if one witness is found to be zomim and the other is not? Meaning somebody says, how did you know? They don't know about both witnesses, but they say one of you witnesses, you can't know you were with us. The other one, we don't know if he's a zomim. What's the din? We don't kill. We don't even punish with lashes until they both are proven to be zomim. They don't have to pay any money for false testimony unless they were both proven to be zomim. In our case, it was only a single witness that was executed by Nehri Nabai. Only he was only the one in the pair that had been found to be in a zomim. So he shouldn't have been executed. So it's a very scary thing because what basically happened is that Yudam and Tabai was found to have done the wrong thing because he was all proud. He knew the halacha against the Tzadukim, but he forgot the halacha that you don't punish unless both witnesses are found to be zomim. So Miyad immediately, Kibul of Yudam Tabai, Yudam Tabai, was on himself, forever he said, I'm never going to pass on something. Unless Shimon Menchatach is around, he wanted to make sure that he would be corrected by Shimon Menchatach. All the days of his life, yeah, so it comes out he really killed an innocent, an innocent but he killed a person without, without when he shouldn't have. So Yudim and Tabai would go and he would, he would bow on the grave of the person that he, he had executed. Why? He was, asking, he was asking for forgiveness. Interesting thing, even though the person was died, he was always asking forgiveness. You could hear his voice. People thought they were hearing the voice of the executed man. They, they hear a voice. They thought it was the, it was the sound of the, that, that the person was crying out in pain from the grave. They said, no, you're hearing my voice. How do you know it's my voice? Tomorrow I will die. Eventually I will die and you won't hear the person's voice anymore. So that you see that the voice that you're hearing is my voice, not the voice of the dead witness. Says the Gemara, just how do we know that's true? Maybe the voice was really the victim. Just after he died, Yudim Tabai was able to appease him. Or maybe he summoned him to justice. That's why you're not hearing him anymore. So anyways, how can Yudim Tabai prove that the, the fact that there won't be a noise after his death is a proof that it was his voice, not the victim's voice? So how did he, uh, how did he, how, how is it a proof? So it's an interesting thing. The Gemara, the Gemara, the Gemara he was just, the Gemara, the Gemara doesn't give any answers to this challenge. It's like an interesting thing. He gives it and the Gemara says, how is it a proof? Maybe he's Mephias and Medin and the Gemara doesn't give an answer. All right, but now we get back to what we wanted to know. We had a dispute. If you don't and Shimon Shetta, who's the Nasi and who's the Av basin? Okay, that was the dispute of Rameir and the Chacham. So now, it's like the Gemara Hamani, who's the author of the Bride? So Yamash Rameir, if you say it's like Rameir, Rameir said Shimon Shetta was the Av basin, Yudim Tabai was the Nasi. Hani, the Gemara Yalach, and Shimon Shetta. Now it explains that Yudim Tabai would paskin, he would paskin on things in the presence of Shimon Ben Ben Shetta. Why? Why is that? Because. Because we're saying that according to him, it makes sense because Shimon ben Shattach was the Abbasin and Yudim ben Tabai was the Nasi. Amir Abba Abana, the reason why Abbasin, Shimon ben Shattach Nasi, Abbasin, if they Nasi, Mimara Alacha, would Abbasin ever rule in front of the Nasi? It doesn't make sense. So we should see that the bride saw as Rabbi Meir, because we're saying over here that Yudim ben Tabai is always is, is ruling in front of Shimon ben Shattach. So we see Shimon ben Shattach must be the Abbasin like Rabbi Meir. Says the Gemara, Lo, really, my going like the Rabbana and the Yudim ben Tabai was the Abbasin. If he was the Abbasin, so, so he never ruled. So my kibble of the Gemara, what does it mean he was makabal? It's terufe. It was saying to say to join sitting in a court. I feel it's terufe lamitzrofina. He said, I will not even join a court in Shimon Joshua Meshatach is there. So in other words, to join with other judges um, is something which, 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 which is not weird to do um, in, front of, in front of the Nazi. But that's why he was makabal on himself that he wasn't going to serve in any court unless Shimon Ben Shatak wasn't there, even if it was just a question of serving together, uh, together with him. 
Okay, so the Gemara just cleared up some of the details here about who is the Nasi, who is the Yudim and Tabai, is the Nasi, the Av Basin, as the dispute between Rameir and the Rabbanon. And now we're trying to prove it from the statement that uh, he was saying, I'm always going to be in front of him. So what does it mean, I'll be in front of him? Does it mean because he's the Av Basin? Does it mean to be Mitzvah in front of him, in front of the Nasi? Okay, a dispute. Now we get back to what the Mishnah had brought. The Mishnah brought that there was uh, Hillel's counterpart. So we, we always know Hillel and Shammai, but really in the Mishnah it was Hillel and Menachem. But Menachem left and Shammai came in. So the Gemara says, the where did he go? He went off the derech. Very sad. He went off the derech. There was something, he went to the wrong ways. Again, you have to remember the times here. I mean, you know, it's the Duke of on the rise and the rise of Christianity. And there's, a, there's a lot going on here. He went to the service of the king. Which king? So it's very famous, it's Pharisee Israelia, that it was, the, it was Hordas, King Herod. There's a whole story, um, a whole story how he met him. I mean, he went into the, he left being a Tana and he went to work for King Herod. Right? The Gemara and Shabbos says that uh, Hillel and King Herod were, were in the ruling at the same time. They, were, they, say they, they overlapped 100 years before the Chorban. King Herod was kind of Jewish, but not really a Jew. And he, wasn't, he was really a puppet for Rome. And uh, there was this thing where Tana went, left and worked for him. Says the Gemara Tanya Yachas Menachem Lavodus Amalech. It says in the Brisa that Menachem left. He went to serve the king. Eighty pairs of Talmidim dressed in the royal garb. They all left with him. So this is you know a little bit sad. Right? It's a little bit sad here. The Tanama leaving the Torah and working the fold of the base measures. Right, leaving the fold of the base measures to go to go be working for Herod. All right. Now the Gemara talks about smicha a little bit. Amr Shamber Abba Rabbi Yochanan. The old Matish was Kalbi Necha. Never let a small Rabbanon be something that is small, because the whole Indian of doing smicha at worst, what is it? It's, it's an Isra Rabbanon that you're violating, of being Mishamash Balechaim. It's not exactly the most important halacha, you would say. It's just a small thing. Look for generations, and it was the original Machlekes and Klal Yisrael. And look at what it caused. It was all about doing the smicha. That was like the whole Indian was came from there. So a shvush should never be a big deal. Says the Gemara Pshita, obviously it's only Drabana. Why do we have to emphasize it's nothing more? Says Gemara Shvush Mitzvah Gleh. The Chiddush is it was a shvush about the mitzvah, right? Really it's something, it's a mitzvah to perform. They, they still answered it, even though doing smicha is a mitzvah, but if it's something you have to lean your hands and do it b'chol kocho, if it's the wrong thing to do and the rabbis still answered it, the rabbis will still answer it. And that's the Chiddush. Says Gemara Nami Pshita, everybody knows it's a drabbana it's a that's a mitzvah. You look at the Mishnah in Be'ah, the Mishnah says that there are shvus mitzvahs that we still outlaw. So the Gemara explains, He's coming to exclude from the opinion of Be'ah that they're arguing if it needs smicha. Meaning somebody could say the machlokas isn't, it isn't that you need smicha, but do the rabbis not allow you to do it? Maybe the machlokas is, like the Gemara in Be'ah says, if the carbon requires smicha. Which is then, it's not a machlokas if it's a drabana, it's not a machlokas if the issue of being mishamash balachim. The machlokas is simply, does the carbon require smicha or not? No, everybody agrees the carbon fundamentally requires smicha. The question whether the rabbanon stopped doing the mitzvah of smicha because of the issue that you're going to be mishamash balachim. Says the Gemara, Amar Abar. Amar Abar 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 Amar needs to be done with all of one strength. You have to press down with all your strength on the head of the animal. Therefore, if you're pressing down with all your strength, you're being supported by the animal. Being supported by the animal, that's called Mishtamesh Babalei If you would think, that's Micha. Doesn't require all of one strength. My COVID, what are you doing already when you do Micha? Let's smoke, let him do it. Don't press down with all of your strength. You avoid the Rabbinic Kisser of being Mishtamesh Babalei there's no such deal. Rabbi Yochanan is clear that the machlokas is that smicha is violated into Rabbanon of Mishalash Balechayim. So clearly, you see, smicha has to be b'chol kocha. 
Says the Gemara, is that true? The Pasuk says, speaks to Bnei Yisrael, and they should do smicha. So we make a trasha. What does it mean, the sons of Kaisa? Smicha is only for men, and not for women. Women don't have smicha on their kabbanos. If they want to, they could. Even though they're exempt, there's no din that they can't. Go for it. If they want to, they could. What's that a calf? That was a carbon shalamim. If you know the Ezra Sinashim, we brought it to the women's court. And the women did smicha. It's not shot. We're saying women are mechuyev. They wanted to give the satisfaction of the women, the satisfaction to the women that they were doing the mitzvah. Yes, they weren't obligated, but it brought them satisfaction that it is um, that they were doing such a thing. So this is a very interesting thing here because it's basically the Gemara, the Gemara learns this up to other places. This is an example of um, if something uh, could a woman do a mitzvah she has my grandma. Not that this is a mitzvah she has my grandma. Here it's based upon a pasuk and Yisrael somechos for lobenos Yisrael somechos. Right? It's, it's a different din. But here what we have is machlokas in the Tanam. If the Torah says the women are exempt, does that mean they don't do it, or does that mean that they're, they're exempt? But if they do it, they do the mitzvah. That's it. Seems to be that's the machlokas at Tanam. For example, Ashkenazi, we hold that the women who do it are mekayim a mitzvah. We say they can make a brach. That's where Tesis comes from, that we're passing like this man, the first opinion that says, is saying it's nothing at all. There would be no bracha. But the second opinion, who says that, so it seems that that's, um, they hold that it could be a mitzvah. The first opinion that it shouldn't be done, Rashi, Rosh Hashanah, Lama, Gimel, you might remember, says it's Baltosif. For if the women are exempt, they can't do it. It's like they're adding on to the mitzvah. Other Rishonim say, no, it's not Baltosif. It just means there's no mitzvah. Either way. But the bottom line is the opinion that says that they could, ensure, that it, it, that they could do it. Tosos holds they can make a bracha as well. So now, bottom line is, what, what's our question from the bride? So, it's to be done with all of one strength. Right? You're not allowed to do an avoda. There's a halacha and a holy animal. You're not allowed to do avoda. For example, let's say you want to ride your animal to the base of Mikdash. I'll ride on my carbonola up to the base of Mikdash. You're not allowed to do that. The Torah says you're not allowed to work an animal. It's against, that's kachim. It's against the holy sanctity of the animal. So if smicha is mechuyiv, that's the din of smicha. I put all my weight on it and I ride in it because that's the din. But if a woman is putter and she's exempt, then how could I let her do it? To bring her satisfaction, but she's doing avodah because she's not mechuyiv in the mitzvah. And when she does it, what's taking place? She's putting all of her weight on it, and it's like she's riding on it. Must be you don't need b'chol you don't need b'chol kocho, and therefore it's not violating the law of doing avodah because she's not doing putting all of her weight on it. That's the gemara's proof. Says the gemara, no, maybe really smicha is with all the strength. I, how could you allow a woman to do it? The terrorist is, they told them just put their hands on the, to, lightly on the head of the animal. Meaning they didn't tell the women to do the real mitzvah. They're, again, they're just trying to bring satisfaction to the women. The women are potter. The shaila is, they want to do it. We want to give them satisfaction. So initially the Gemara thought they're going to do what, what, what the man would do. So the Gemara, no, 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 no. To be mekind the mitzvah, you have to do smicha b'chol kocho. They didn't tell the women to do smicha b'chol kocho because they can't. Since the women aren't obligated, they're going to be doing avodah, avodah b'kadshin. They told them to just put their heads lightly. And then, you know, again, it, it, it brought them satisfaction because it seemed to them that they were doing the mitzvah. But they really weren't doing the mitzvah. If they were only doing, you know, a, a sign of smicha, but not a real smicha. When, when Abba Lazar was saying that we brought it to the women, he said, He said, by the way, don't mistake that it's really smicha. Of course it wasn't smicha. They weren't doing smicha. I mean, Abba Lazar is coming to say, even though we brought the women, the carbon to the women to do smicha, don't think they're really obligated. We just brought it to them to bring them satisfaction. I mean, well, of course there's no smicha. They didn't do smicha. They just put their hands on it. They, they, the real smicha is, is, is leaning your head, leaning all your weight. 
He's really saying two points. First of all, don't conclude from here that the women are chayv and smicha because they actually didn't do smicha. Furthermore, they were just doing it to give satisfaction, not because there was any real obligation for them to do the smicha. Now, we have to pause here. Let's pause because I got back to that. Again, this is all, all the Indian of women doing, doing mitzvahs. And, in, and according to her, the, 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 that they're potter from, and according to the Ashkenazi psak, they even make a bracha, it all comes from this opinion that Benos is so that, they, that they're allowed to. Lamaisa, what does it end up from our Gemara? It ends up from our Gemara that they're not doing the mitzvah. And they can't do the mitzvah. It's forbidden for them to do the mitzvah. Since they're exempt, if they're going to do it, it's going to be Avadi Bakachu. That's Mams what the Gemara says. So wait a second. If the philosophy is that they're simply exempt, but if they're doing it, they're doing the mitzvah, and it can warrant then the Chari of the Gemara is a pella. Because let them, let them be the Avaida. In other words, they don't, they don't obligate to do that to do it. But if they're doing it, they're not stop riding on the animal, they're doing the Avaida. LMI, what do you see in the Gemara? It's not like that. If they're exempt, then it's not a din Avaida when they do it. So then how could they say, or let me bring it out differently. How could Rabbeinu Tam have arrived from here that a woman can make a parachal on a mitzvah seisha as my grandma's arrived from here? Why? Because Nosrim Samchis Rishos and Nosrim Samchis Rishos is a joke. They just put their heads lightly. They didn't actually do the mitzvah. It's a very shvar zach. So elsewhere, some of the Rishonim seem to say taka that Nosrim Samchis Rishos means that they do they do a full thing. They do a full smicha, and even though it would seem other, what would he mean? They're doing avodah b'kachim, but that's taka the teretz. Hakama, they're doing a smicha, they're allowed. But it sounds like from our Gemara again, not that way. That they can only do their hands; that they can't do more. Says the Gemara, let's just learn one thing. From the fact that we made a whole big deal about doing smicha and yantif, you see that the isr to be mishamash balechaim isn't only to ride on the back. Now, the rabbi said, don't ride on an animal. You could hear that they only said, don't ride on the back, like the regularly. What about studin, the sides of the animal? You allow to, you know, lean on the side of the back of the animal or something like that, where you're not using it in the most regular way. You see from here that it's awesome. If you think studin are motor and the isr is only to mamash ride on the back, you just do smicha on the head. The head isn't the regular way you're mishtamash balachaim. Normally you ride on the back. So why are we saying just because you do smicha? And again, b'chol kocho, but it's like you're putting all your weight on it. But that's making mishtamash balachaim. Yeah, it's only tzadin. It's not the regular way of riding on the animal. And we see tzadin are aser. It could be the size of the animal really mother. Whatever is level with the back is like the level is like the back. So since the head of an animal, you press down on it, it's level with the back. So we don't distinguish between the head and the back. But if really the size of the animal, it may be mutter to be the lean on them. But, but the head is worse because the head is considered level with the back. So it's considered like you're being mishamish with the back. So we don't have conclusive evidence whether it's thought in as usher or mutter.